Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Welcome to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robison. This time around, I'm diving into the Mary Marvel Multiverse, with a look at an issue from the second volume of What If. Specifically, this is What If, Volume 2, Number 41, which cleverly asks the question, What if the Avengers fought Galactus? This is a double-sized issue. So you already know this is a two-cup minimum episode. But I'm going to take that grande to venti, my friends, because I'm simply not brave enough to face Galactus alone. Joining me for this episode, direct from the Pulp to Pixel Network, is the one and only Sean Ross. How you doing? Good. How are you, Sean? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm enjoying some 75-degree weather in Arizona in mid-February. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Sure, rub it in for everybody. Yeah, I kind of did, right? Like, I, I and I know it's coming. I know it's coming back to me when in July when it's three thousand degrees here. When, like when I take my dog for a walk and she spontaneously combusts, I know I'll get a little feedback from that. So I, I figured I'd take my shot now. <laughs> well, speaking of taking your shot, I'm going to say that's a hot dog. <laughs> uh, you don't. You're not required to laugh at the bad jokes. And, uh, dude, I'm a dad. I'm. 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 I'm bad jokes are in my DNA. <laughs> Well, friends, for those who aren't familiar with the concept, What If was simply Marvel's way of exploring ideas and concepts told in a slightly different fashion than in the normal Marvel U. Mostly, these alternate takes diverged from a specific plot point, but a few issues were more humor-based, designed clearly for a character-versus-character tale, or... Like the later issues of the second volume, just variations on a general concept. I know I was an avid collector of at least the second series, you know, the first one being before my time. Later on, I did pick up issues from the first series. Sean, what's your experience with this series? Yeah, it's, volume one was, was before my time as well, and I knew it existed. It was one of those things that when I first started collecting in the 80s, I would hear people talk about like these famous what if issues, like what if Electra had lived and, you know, some of these really amazing stories and creative teams. And, and, you know, this was before I was still collecting from the spinner racks, man. Like I, I had maybe just barely found my first comic shop. So I didn't know even where, what back issues were or that they existed or that you could find them. So that was just like a, a thing to me. It was like, you know, the dead sea scrolls, like I knew it existed, but I wasn't ever going to see it. And I, I jumped at the chance when volume two was released and I loved volume two. And, you know, as an adult going back and looking at some of the issues, you know, they are clearly written by like an editor who was under a deadline and drawn by some guy who they met at the convention the week before. But I, I have a total soft spot for them. I loved them. I, yeah, I, I sporadically collected volume two. I mean, I had the first issue of it and I have the last issue of it. And I have, you know, 
a number of them scattered in between, which is kind of, I think, the best way to collect What If. See, I, I started in on What If not long after I just started collecting comics in general, so it was actually more or less my education into the history of the Marvel U. Yeah, it was a really cool... It was I think for a lot of us, you know, there's Ohatmu, right? Like the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And that was that was the those were the nuts and bolts of the Marvel Universe. Like that was sort of your, you know, world encyclopedia or Encyclopedia Britannica for Marvel. And then what if was like taking Ohatmu and and playing it out? Like you know, that, I, you're right because that was a big lesson for me too. In fact, I think for the first time I actually encountered Phoenix, Jean, Jean Grey Phoenix, wasn't an issue of what if. That was actually my first exposure to her. This is what if the Avengers had fought Galactus. By writer Jim Valentino. Layouts also by Jim Valentino. Finished art by Sam Della Rosa. Letters by Janice. Did you say Chang? I would, yeah. Okay. I'm terrible with the names. So, yeah, we'll just say Janice Chang. Uh, colors by Tom Vincent. And editor Craig Anderson. And this one hit stands. With a cover date of September 1992. We open with a familiar scene. Uatu the Watcher warning the world of the coming of Galactus. But this time, he's surrounded by the Avengers. Uatu, in his typical narration for this series, granted not the Uatu that's part of the story, reminds us all that this Earth is not quite the one we're used to. In our world, the Fantastic Four faced Galactus, and won. However, in this alternate Earth, the rocket carrying the FF crashed upon re-entry and killed them all. Victor Von Doom, having no one to take vengeance upon, becomes a U.S. ally. Also, with no FF, there is no Human Torch to spark, pun intended, Namor's memory, and thus, with no Namor, we do not get Captain America unfrozen. However, the Avengers still form under slightly different membership. Our story picks up as they return from their first battle with the Collector. As they are flying back to New York, the Avengers, consisting of Iron Man, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Goliath, and Wasp, spot a second sun in the sky, which quickly expands to a burning skyline. Iron Man flies to investigate and finds the city in complete panic. The team regroups as the flames fade. A short time later, Quicksilver bursts into Avengers Mansion, panicked about the sky being full of boulders. But Goliath already knows, as he is meeting in his lab with Uatu the Watcher. The Watcher tells the Avengers that the rocks and flames were his doing, as their world will soon be consumed by Galactus. The boulders prove unsuccessful as Galactus's herald, the Silver Surfer, approaches Earth. Iron Man spots the Surfer, but the Avengers are too late to stop him from signaling Galactus. Iron Man catches the Surfer off guard and knocks him from his board, but it all proves for naught as Galactus's ship appears, as well as Galactus himself. Uatu attempts to reason with Galactus in hopes he won't eat the Earth but Hawkeye and Iron Man prefer action to talk. They attempt to assault Galactus, but quickly realize they are massively outclassed. With these two out of commission, 
The other adventurers are hesitant. Galactus, ignoring those that are beneath him, begins to assemble the machinery needed to absorb Earth's energy. Meanwhile, the surfer regains consciousness in an alley, where he takes care of those that would otherwise assault him. Back at the mansion, the Avengers talk strategy. Goliath sends out the call that any and all Avengers should help out. Thor appears with his new ally Hercules in tow. The Watcher tries to warn the Avengers that their strength is still far below that of Galactus, but they are eager for battle. Elsewhere, the surfer surveys humanity, attempting to equate them to how people on Zen Law must have been in their primitive days. That's a mouthful in and of itself. Sean, you want to take it from here? Yeah, absolutely. So Galactus sends a Punisher mech down that he's use, he uses to sort of clear the field for, for his machinations. And the machine comes down, Quicksilver sets its sight on taking it out before it can hurt the rest of the team. But he's taken out quickly. Hercules jumps in to defend Wanda, and he's not she's not really fully awoken yet to the fact that like she can rewrite all of reality. You know, this is still very much a, a 1960s Wanda Maximoff who can just sort of hex and hope. And he go jumps in to save her, and he's going to fight the mech, and it's suddenly just pummeling him when off the top rope jumps the Hulk. And he comes in and he and Hercules hit at the same time and they smash the Punisher. And no one else would ever, ever use that name ever again. <laughs> that was the first and only appearance of any character called the Punisher. So the scene cuts back to Iron Man, and he's flying through Tau-2, which is Galactus's gigantic ship. And this, is, this ship is actually one of my favorite things in the Marvel Universe. I mean, it's, it's a solar system-sized ship. It's amazing. And he's searching for some weapon to stop him. But unfortunately, unlike the Human Torch in our version of this story... Galactus's defenses activate and they take out Tony Stark and actually they apparently kill him and when in reading this moment I was really devastated because I was like well who's going to launch the Marvel Cinematic Universe I'm like it can only be Willie Lumpkin and and you know that Willie Lumpkin movie's making 500 million dollars worldwide <laughs> you, you know it's a hit like the, the mailman cometh so we cut back to the surfer and he doesn't have the prompting of Alicia Masters like he does in the our universe to show him the nobility and humanity but he's still Norrin Rad. He's still a good guy. And he's really wrestling with the impending death of the Earth and whether or not this is the right path. And he's he's reminded in the Earthlings of his own people from Zen Law and, and he's struggling. But right at the moment where you think he might turn, he sees Thor just bring in the thunder and lightning to his fight with Galactus. And his loyalty is redoubled. And he realizes, like, oh, I swore an oath. I'm going to fulfill my oath. And he takes us into... What is like, I mean, this is just pure fanfic. Like, who would win a fight between Silver Surfer and Thor if neither one of them were holding back? And this is that fight. Jumps right in, and he and Thor are just going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And it's just, I mean, it's a total fanboy's dream. It's one of the reasons I love this issue. So as Thor's taking on the Silver Surfer, the Hulk is like, you know, well, he takes Shiny Man, I'm going to take Giant. And he jumps to attack Galactus. And Galactus starts giving out I-beams like they're the people's elbow, man. He just fires at Banner, at the Hulk, and turns him into Banner. He hits the Wasp, Goliath, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch. He takes out the entire team, except for Hercules and Thor. And Hercules looks back at the Watcher, and he's like, dude, are you just going to watch this happen? And the Watcher's like, well, it is in my name. And he's like, yeah, but you've got to help. You've got to do something. And then all of a sudden, literally out of nowhere... The swordsman shows up and he's like, hey, I was an Avenger once. And it's like, yeah, you were, but you 
pretended to be to betray the team, but I guess we're not going to quibble about details because we're, you know, facing the death of our species. And he runs in and he's like, Galactus, taste my sword. And Galactus is like, please, and just swats him down. And things look really bleak. But this valiant sacrifice from the swordsman, who is not particularly a valiant man, and watching all of these, you know, sort of tiny mortals with their brief lives do everything they can to stop Galactus, it sparks something in Uatu. And we get the fight that we never knew we wanted, but we always needed. It's a Watu versus Galactus. It's Watcher versus, you know, the world eater. And Watcher grows to Galactus's size. And they full-on rock'em, sock'em, robot fight it out. Like, they start punching each other into buildings. And it's amazing. And, and it's it's really, I like, like, I'm a grown man. And grown men shouldn't squee. But I full-on squeed when I read this. And I, even when I reread it again for this episode, it was not a proud moment for me. But it happened. And so Galactus and the Watcher, they're fighting, and Galactus defeats him. And he doesn't just defeat him, but he's he's overtaken by his hunger at this point. He's mad with hunger, and he absorbs the Watcher's power. And, and it shocks him, and it shocks, really, it should shock the universe when he has murdered a Watcher. So while this is happening, Thor has turned back into Don Blake because the Silver Surfer had frozen Mjolnir sort of in midair. And Thor, Don Blake is begging to the surfer, like, please let me, let me join the fight again. Please, please. And the surfer finally relents. And the two of them turn. And they're, you know, about to sort of go back to Galactus. And Galactus calls for peace. He's like, no, no, this is done. He's like, look, my hunger's satiated. I absorb the power of the Watcher. I no longer feel the need to consume this planet. He's like, but he's also weighed down by the severity of his actions in a way that's really, I, I think, pretty revealing about him as a character. And so... He says, okay, this is done. We're done. I'm actually going to take the Watcher back to his home planet. And the surfer says to him, you know, Master, can I stay here? I, I, I can learn from these humans. I think I'd like to see why they remind me so much of my people. And in a really cool turn, Galactus says, like, you know, yes, you can stay. So the surfer stays. He joins the Avengers. The Avengers become a, a much mightier force. And Galactus takes the body of the Watcher back to a, his planet, which is filled with bald men. And I'm going to call it Bendis Law because I think it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a planet of bald men. And so the issue ends with our Watcher, with our 616 Uatu, reflecting on how difficult it was to tell this particular what-if story. Because in, in this story, a version of, of, of his you know life, a version ends and a version of himself dies and sacrifices himself. So it's a really somber ending in a, in a really cool issue. All right. Well, we'll take a quick promo break here and come back and jump into some discussion. In late 1984, Marvel's direct sales manager sat in a crowded meeting of comic retailers. Let's be honest, Secret Wars was crap, right? But did it sell? The room exploded with applause. Well, get ready for Secret Wars Series 2. Beginning in 2018, Pulp to Pixel's Marvel superhero Secret Wars and Beyond will do the unthinkable Secret Wars 2. We'll take a detailed look at the event, the tie-ins, the new characters, and we will attempt to answer one of the largest questions in the history of the Marvel Universe. What the heck was Jim Shooter thinking? No, no, seriously, what was Jim Shooter thinking? Well, you can find out at the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, where you can subscribe to all of our amazing shows, or just to Secret Wars and Beyond itself, as it is now in its own omnipotent feed. Secret Wars 2 and Beyond, a Pulp to Pixel podcast production. You'll believe an omnipotent being can use the restroom. And we're back. Sean, 
normally I would go into the plot first, but I think that's where a lot of our discussion lies. So right off, I'm going to have to ask you, what do you think of the art? I I really, really love it. Now, you know, what if the art in what if issues is is often uneven and, and uneven leaning towards not great because, you know, these are these are sort of tryout issues. You know, the editors tended to write a bunch of them. Terry Cavanaugh in particular, who's an editor from Marvel in the 80s and 90s, wrote a lot of these issues. And they would use artists who, young artists who they, you know, kind of were grooming for series to to try them out on these issues, to give them a, a little bit of experience. And so the art is usually pretty uneven, but that's not the case here. Jim Valentino and Sam De La Rosa, they really, they clearly had a, a thesis, right? They had a mission to go in and make this book look as much like 1960s Fantastic Four as they could, while I think, and this is, I think, the key to the success of the art, understanding that they aren't Jack Kirby. Like, they didn't go in trying to say, we're going to be King Kirby, we're going to do this. They just said, we're going to have the general aesthetic of the 60s Fantastic Four book. And I think they knock it out of the park. I, I really think they capture the spirit and the flavor of it. Uh, what about you? How did, it, how did it sing for you? I'd have to agree. I mean, it was... There's a lot of Kirby imitators out there, and you can always tell when they're imitating. This was, like you said, it it was more of an homage. It was, you know, we're going to take a Kirby style, but we're not ever going to believe that we're Kirby. Yeah, uh, and they, they capture some great panels, too. I mean, there's like the, the moment, like the Galactus I-beams, you know, when he's just, just taken out Avengers left and right. I mean, that's such a great, that's such a major moment in Fantastic Four when he fires the I-beams. And it's such a famous image of Galactus. And I feel like they really capture, because they put his face in silhouette when it happens. And that's something that John Byrne would do a lot in his run of Fantastic Four too. And I think it really captures the power of Galactus and, and drives home like what a major threat he is. Turning to the plot, I'm not sure even where to start. I mean, other than to say this is definitely an epic this is a three-issue story combined all down into one single issue. Granted, you know, it's a double-sized issue, but that's still, it, it almost seems like it's half the size that we need to tell this story. Yeah, it definitely, I, I think epic is the perfect word for it because it tells the story of, you know, the humanity's struggle against an, you know, overwhelming force and overwhelming power. And it has all the great qualities of an epic. You know, it's got the, the, you know, valiant heroes, you know, fighting against a, a power that they can't defeat. And, and then, you know, the day being saved by sort of intrusion by a magical creature it really does meet actually like all the qualities of an epic. And, you know, for me, one of the things that sings in the plot is really the fact that there's a little bit of a Raiders of the Lost Ark moment here where, you know, people will, people who will, will talk about that movie and they're like, you know, the movie happens whether Indy's there or not, like the exact plot points happen. He doesn't actually impact the story, which I kind of disagree with, but that you could you could argue that for this story, the Avengers their fight is so futile that they don't actually really impact I me. Mean, they don't they don't cause Galactus or the Surfer any real harm, but it's their willingness to battle against what you know a power they know they can't beat that inspires Uatu, you know, which leads us to sort of the big climax at the end. And yeah, I thought it was really cool. It kind of reminds me. It's like that line from To Kill a Mockingbird, right? When Atticus says. Like, even when you know you're beat from the beginning, it doesn't mean you don't give your all. And I was like, ah, oh, this is such a cool, you know, heroic story. I think you nailed it. I think it is. It's an epic. Yeah. And I mean, it, like you said, it, the Avengers or somebody 
has to be there to stand against Galactus. In the original story, it's the Fantastic Four who, even with their you know, larger-than-life powers and adventures, they're still the everyman and woman of the Marvel Universe this side of Spider-Man. You know, they're the family dynamic. They're the what would happen if, you know, say the best of us gained these abilities, but we still had flaws. And they stand against Galactus. In this one, it's literally the Earth's mightiest heroes. It's the Avengers going against Galactus. And they know full well, you know, Owatu tells them like ten times, you don't stand a chance. There's no way you're going to fight Galactus. You know, to, to do the Ghostbusters 2 thing, you are like the buzzing of flies to him. <laughs> He's Beagle! You're like the buzzing of flies to him! <laughs> and now I have to go watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> But still, they give their all and would essentially die pitifully. Yeah, okay. I, I think I think you really nailed yeah. something. Because talking about the Fantastic Four, I hadn't thought about this. You know, they are the first family of Marvel. And you're right. Like, that is the key difference between them and the Avengers, right? They're the, I love the way you said that. They're the best of us. They're they're kind of who we would like to be if we got powers. And I think the the, the two different approaches to the Galactus story are really interesting because when the Fantastic Four faces Galactus, we read it as the readers, it's our family facing Galactus. It's like our mom and dad and our uncle and our brother, right? Like it's it feels it feels like our family. So there's a a family stake in it. And I think that plays out in the story because, you know, it's Alicia Masters who convinces Norrin Rat or Silver Surfer to find Norrin Rat inside himself again, to to find his his own humanity. Um, in order to stand up against Galactus and help change, you know, sway the day and, and help fend off the consumption of Earth. And so it's a very family approach to victory. It's really, it's through the heart. And, you know, even Reed's bluff at the end in the original issues when he holds up the ultimate nullifier to Galactus and he's like, I'll do it. Like, if, it, if we're dying anyway, I'm going to take you out. It's this ultimate sort of gambit. But the Avengers version of it, you know, the Avengers are not a family. They're soldiers. And I think you you really hit on something. I hadn't thought about this till you said it, but this is the soldier approach to this story. This is the how big an army can we amass? You know, because they in the plot they call all the Avengers together, and they say you know everybody come, including you know the Hulk or Swordsman who was even sort of a fake Avenger, and and they amass this little army to fight him, and the army's losing and losing and losing until they finally sort of convince the bigger gun to come in and for that last sacrifice. So I think it's a really cool way to look at this issue. It's like, it's like the, the diff, not only different teams facing the, the evil or actually Galactus is an evil facing the threat, but it's the different approaches of those teams. Like it makes you wonder like, what if the X-Men had faced him or, you know, what if the great lakes Avengers had faced him, you know, how would it have gone differently? Lord, if the X-Men had faced him, it would have been done and over in two seconds. We would have gotten the arguing. Oh, right. Seriously. We would have gotten the cool scene, though, of like Colossus chucking Wolverine at him, fastball special, and then just getting obliterated by the I-beams. Like it would have been (laughs) it would have been a pretty neat visual. Speaking of a fastball special, did you notice when Hercules tosses the hall? No, not Hercules. um, Goliath tosses Hercules. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. It's uh, it's nice to get a little a little reference in there to that. 
And Hercules would be a pretty wicked fastball special, man. That's a that's a pretty big threat. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a there are a few things too, like you know the art. We you know we talked about the art. I just want to come back to a couple of things. You know, in in the homage to Kirby, you know, I think they really, like you said, they really capture the spirit of it, and in some places in particular. But there are some really funny touches too, and they're not meant to be funny, but in retrospect, they kind of are. Like I had forgotten. I don't know if you have the same memory. Whenever I picture Galactus in in my head canon, I picture the John Byrne version of him. So he's still the big purple guy with the weird horns, but he's more um, covered. And I had forgotten yeah. that when he first appears in Kirby and Lee, that he's in his sort of jaunty summer outfit. That he's got like with you know, a the big G shirt. on his te- chest. <laughs> yeah, he's got Batman level branding, right? Like he's got the big G and. He's got the short sleeves, and and I totally, as I was reading this issue, I totally imagined that under that big purple tunic, he had a shirt that said, like, sun's out, guns out, that he was, like, showing off his arms. <laughs> and it, it honestly, it was the first thought I had as I started rereading it, and it kind of ruined it for me because Galactus was just bro Galactus the rest of the issue for me. <laughs> and so it was really, yeah, it was kind of a, it changed things for me a little bit. But And I get why they were doing it because it's what he looks like in the original issues, but it cracked me up. It totally cracked me up. Yeah. <laughs> if they reintroduce that that look now, that would be Kid Galactus. Oh my God! Or Lil yeah. Galactus, like L I L apostrophe. Oh yeah, he fights X babies and stuff. <laughs> or he eats them. I mean, either way. <laughs> <laughs> They'd just be like a little, little, you know, hors d'oeuvre, little hors d'oeuvre platter of X babies. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so going back to the uh, Indiana Jones comparison. Uh. You know, the plot points aside, who would you say is the most useless Avenger in this story? That is a, a really great question. <laughs> that there, and it's it's not as easy to answer as you might expect, because there is a lot of useless, um, there are a lot of useless players on the field. Now, I'm going to say, you know, obviously, like, it can't be Thor or Hercules, because they're sort of in the fight the whole way through. It, uh, you know, Goliath is at least the leader ostensibly and, and is the one the watcher communicates with. I, I hate to say this cause she is, I mean, she is a top three Avenger for me, but I'm going to say it's, it's the wasp. I mean, Janet Van Dyne gets no real estate in this issue. I actually forgot she was in the issue until I saw her knocked out with Hank when Galactus just starts firing eye beams. So I, yeah, I'm going to go with Janet. What about you? I would have to side with you on that one because I, I'm like you. I don't remember her having anything to do after the first. Well, after they get back to New York, I really don't remember her even being in it. Uh, Swordsman, like I said, he literally shows up just to get shot. He really does. Yeah. Iron Man at least tries to do a few things, but, you know, sending him after the ultimate nullifier just kind of, you know, wah, wah. Well, also, I'm like, are we really sending the, like, drunk playboy millionaire after the device that can destroy the universe? The, like, are we sending Mr. I'm a futurist, I can design anything after the, like, the thing that you press one button and it destroys everything? I'm like, there wasn't a cooler head to maybe have, maybe Janet could have done that. Maybe the Wasp would have been a better one to send. Well, plus, I mean, even looking at, with Hercules and Thor there, Iron Man's still one of your top three guns. Mm-hmm. You know, granted, yeah, he's really not going to stand a chance against Galactus, but sending him away from the fight? Nah. 
Yeah, and if you are assembling an army to fight Galactus and, and the soldiers you choose from are the Avengers, you're right. Like, Iron Man's like your third pick. I mean, you're, you're going like Thor, and then Iron Man's following pretty closely upon. You know, Quicksilver's pretty useless in this, too. I mean, Valentino definitely captures this era of Quicksilver, which is like weirdly whiny, angry, sort of like, you know, super swaying emotionally between like, you know, why everything's bad, like kind of a, like early Star Wars Luke Skywalker, and then you know, all to like, I'm going to take on everything and, you know, running into <laughs> battle and, and dropping really quickly. So, I mean, it, it's consistent with the character, but he's he is really not useful. And then Wanda fires a hex at Galactus at one point. And, you know, I'm reading this, rereading this now with all the stuff that they've done to Wanda since then, which, you know, for good and for ill, Mm -hmm. a lot of it, a lot of it for ill. But, you know, they really ramped up her powers. I mean, she's like a reality writer now. And she fires a hex at Galactus. She's like, you know, oh, I don't know what this is going to do, but let's see. And then it just makes him float in the air for a second. And he like looks around like, oh, yeah, no. okay, that's it. I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not messing with you guys anymore. Um. Looking at the ending, you know, before we, you know, for one, I really do want to, like, focus on the the death of the Watcher, but uh, the mightiest team of Avengers, as far as, like, sheer powerhouses, yeah, this this is a strong team. Then again, anything with the power cosmic backing you up is going to pretty much be a strong team. Yeah, I was, um, I have to tell you, the, the fan in me, like totally jumped at this moment and I was like, oh my God, like I would love a mini series or, you know, a, a multi-part what if, or even like a, a role-playing game or something where this is the team of Avengers that, that is in place at this point. Cause I mean, in actual history, the Avengers are really low powered at this point. It's, you know, it's Goliath and Wasp and Hawkeye, you know, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver. I think, you know, Black Panther joins not too long after and they're really, more of kind of a street level as, as long as power as far as power goes but you had thor and hercules and the surfer in and you know i guess the swordsman there's too to to <laughs> i don't know stop some debris from falling mm-hmm. but uh yeah that's a that's a pretty powerful group but at the same time if you've got the hulk and silver surfer you've already got half of the defenders <laughs> you would pointed that and, out to me yeah and i Yo- guarantee you with the attitudes that Thor and Hercules have, there are fights galore within that team. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that, that great punch scene from Avengers 1 where Thor's like, hey, Hulk, we could be friends. And then Hulk just like slams him. That's just happening yeah. all the time. <laughs> and you, you yeah. pointed that out to me because I was kind of geeking out when we were planning for the episode. I was kind of geeking out over this team. I was like, oh, this is the mightiest team of Avengers ever. And you're like, you know, dude, it's basically the Defenders. And I was like, oh, oh, God, you're right. <laughs> like, it is the Defenders. But see, at the same time, they, like you said, though, they've got Wasp and uh, Wanda. And, you know, there, there are some people there that could probably, like, broker peace between everybody. Or at least, at least tone it down to where they just friendly smiting as hercules would call it (laughs) he's bringing the gift of battle (laughs) (laughs) that was always my favorite thing like i wish i had like you know i mean i was a kid who grew up collecting comics so clearly i was not bullying anybody on the playground but like had i been you know like a playground bully and a comic book collector that so would have been my bully cry i would have been like i am bringing you the gift of battle and i would you know just been a a torture to all of my classmates (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> there's an issue of Quasar where her has put pods on like every strong person's back. And that's Hercules' solution is that if you hit him hard enough, it would knock it loose. And he just keeps going around to everybody like, wouldst thou do me the honor of smiting me? And everybody's just like, if I hit you, you're going to hit me back. <laughs> he is so he is so the like frat boy of the Marvel superhero, like of the Marvel superheroes. Like he really is the like, hey, I wonder how hard a hit I can take or like, can I crush this adamantium beer can against my head? Like I just really, I, I, yeah, he's, and I love him for it. Actually, he's one of my favorite characters, but that's awesome. I'm gonna have to check that out. I um, actually picked up, I, I bought the first issue of Quasar when it came out. And it kind of didn't click for me. And then like 25 years later or something, I found issues like two through 50 at a discount bin. And I'm like, dude, Mark Grunewald, I'm doing a deep dive. Like I had no idea Greg Capullo drew that book. Like that was a fun book. That was great. Well, the funny part is, you know, Quasar kind of leads into all this because there's like a two or three issue story where Quasar has to jump from universe to universe encountering different watchers. And like there are several what if universes that pop up. This isn't one of them, of course, but. You know, it's like the more iconic ones, like uh, Spider-Man keeping the symbiote and uh, like, what if the Avengers had lost uh, Atlantis attacks and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a cool issue. That's the one with the living laser, right? Where he flies into the Watchers. Yeah, home and and then he jumps into the what ifs. Doesn't he end up in the new universe at some point, too? I think so. Yeah. And, you know, it's been forever since I read it. but Yeah, I just remember like. At the end of one of the issues, there's actually a dead watcher. Ooh, so yeah. it kind of ties in with this. And that was powerful, you know, going back to, to this issue. Like that last panel, and I, and I think it's pretty interesting because I think Valentino, you know, like we said, has been drawing the, the uh, Kirby aesthetic all the way through. But that last panel, I think he's sort of evoking John Byrne. Because this looks like John Byrne's watcher. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he has that really somber moment where he's like, you know, normally I sign off on these episodes, these issues. He's like, but I'm I'm really having trouble with this one. Like, it was hard for me to watch a reality where I died. And I I, I liked it a lot because it, I think it, it brought up a big question for me because I think our Owatu in the last panel is asking himself the question anybody else would, which is like, would I have done that in that situation? I mean, he didn't. He, he sort of interferes, but not fully. And I and actually I think it's it's interesting because I, I I wrestle with the question of like was the watcher in this story right to break his oath? Hmm. I mean, gosh, that, that's I, I still don't really have a a good answer for that one. I mean, yeah, it, I, I want to say yes because he's. I mean, he's he's ultimately willing to sacrifice his own life and energy to save the Earth. But at the same time, wouldn't he need to change his name to the Interferer? <laughs> I do think so, yeah. We would need a title change. Uh, it, it is my um, supposition that the worst Watcher in the class of Watchers gets Earth. Like that's like the that's the the D minus watcher. That's your assignment. Like that's how you know you're at the bottom ranking in your class. 
And so, because um, Owatu just interferes so often that I really do. It's, it's kind of been a running like thought of mine that like, oh, this must be the lowliest outpost. Like this is the one that you get when you're, you know, a super screw up or like your uncle got you into the Watchers, but, you know, he doesn't have enough sway to get you a like Cree law or something. But I. So what you're, you're the, saying is he's the Nort of the Marvel <laughs> Universe. He really is. He is totally the Nort of the Marvel Universe. I told, I, I forgot about Nort's uncle getting him the ring-a-ding. <laughs> I still, I still, and I will admit this on the air, and I, I'm excited that Shag is getting to the Nort issues in JL, you know, his JLI podcast. I still can't decide whether I love or hate that character, and it's been like 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been able to understand anybody who can't enjoy Nort. It's like literally you. You can enjoy Plastic Man, but you can't enjoy Nort? Yeah, I, I wrestle with him, man. I got to tell you, because he'll show up, and I'm like, yay, Nort. And then within like two panels, I'm like, no, go away. Bad dog. Like, bad dog, go away. <laughs> <laughs> but that that Watcher oh. Oath, you know, it comes from, like, you know, they were one of the first races in the universe, mm-hmm. and they, they actually interfered. So there's a story. They interfere with a planet called Priscilicus that was you know, kind of a, I mean, it's implied as was like an early, you know, stone age version of, of earth and they bring them technology and they think that they're helping advance the species. And, and the, the people of Priscilicus use the technology and end up destroying their whole planet though. And the watchers are horrified and they, that's when they sort of become the watchers. That's when they make their oaths not to interfere. Cause they're like, look, even with the best intentions, I mean, it's, it's the prime directive, like from Star Trek, it's like, even with the best intentions, your interference you know, could cause more problems than it solves. And so, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, he saves the earth and that's great. Like that's where I keep my stuff, but I don't know that I wanted him to, to break his oath. Well, at the same time though, isn't warning them that Galactus is coming technically interfering anyway. (laughs) Yeah. His definition of just watching is really dubious. Like, you know, like, I'm just watching. Look where my eyes are watching. Oh, is that the ultimate nullifier I'm looking at? Oh, oops. Yeah, he really <laughs> does. He really does have a, a very move, a moving target of a definition. <laughs> well, there, there's a five-part uh, storyline that comes, well, it came, like, a few issues ahead of this one. Uh, they called it Time Quake, where, like, they revisited uh, what-ifs that they had already done. And just kind of furthered the story, like, instead of, you know, what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires, it was, what if Wolverine is Lord of the Vampires during Inferno? Mm-hmm. You know, what if the Fantastic Five had to fight Annihilus to save Sue's baby? You know, that kind of thing. And, I mean, the stories themselves are fun, but, like, the the overarching plot is that you know, Immortus is messing with time and alternate realities and other Kang-like activities. <laughs> and the Watcher is just, like, telling the Time Bureau or whatever the, they're called in the Marvel U, like, look, this stuff is happening, I know, because I'm watching. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, we, we have our, yeah, we, we know what we're doing, we, we know and every time they try to fix it, they just make things worse. And every time Owatu tells them, they're just like, no, no, you're not supposed to interfere. We've got this. And it finally comes down to, you know, they just give up. They're like, okay, you know, help us. Oh, who? Me? 
I'm not <laughs> supposed to interfere. But if I were going to, I would do this and this and this. And, you know, the day is saved. Hooray! I love the idea of a passive-aggressive watcher. Of being like, well, I'm not supposed to interfere, but if I were you. Like, I could just see him being like... Like that person we all work with in our, you know, our office or or in our class schools, who's like, you know, super always telling you what to do without actually telling you what to do. Like that would be pretty great. It's a it's a fun like yeah. sitcom version of The Watcher. Oh yeah, Volume Two, Number Thirty Nine, just like two issues ahead of this. You know, you don't even really need the rest of the story. You just need that one, just so he, <laughs> just so he can be snarky with them. <laughs> I have some of those issues too. Like I said uh, at the start of the show. I collected, you know, what if really sporadically, like I would, I would grab it, you know, basically if the premise interested me, I would grab it. And I have a few of those issues because I have that, that Lord of the Vampires during Inferno. And when I remember buying it and being like, Hey, wait a minute, I bought this already. Cause the, the you know, 20 issues earlier or whatever they had done, what if Wolverine became Lord of the Vampires? And I'm like, is that, is that what they're doing now? They're just adding like another, like clause at the end of the sentence like that's not fair like i'm not i don't want to pay for this issue twice just because you added a little extra description to it and um you know it's 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 a, it's still an interesting story but i actually think that like 20 percent of all what if issues end with wolverine being lord of the vampires i'm not sure it's statistically <laughs> quite that number but i'm pretty convinced of that <laughs> either that or somebody manages to kill wolverine or kill the hulk yeah exactly exactly it, it, and there's a lot of Wolverine adamantium skeletons floating through issues yeah. of What If. Yeah, it's kind of like Felix the Cat and Todd McFarlane drawings, right? You just have to look long <laughs> enough and you'll find it. Yep. <laughs> okay, so uh, how do you think this stacks up to other Galactus stories? Like, what would be some of your favorite ones to compare it to? That's a, so it's a good question. I You know, Galactus is a is a force in the Marvel Universe, and he's not often a character in it. And so when I think about like major Galactus stories. I think about stories where he's the impetus, like he's the thing against which something is rallying. But the one time that changed for me, or one of the times that changed for me was definitely in John Byrne's Fantastic Four run, the uh, trial of Reed Richards. It's Fantastic Four 261 to 262. And in that, you know, Galactus had come to earth a few issues earlier. I think he was looking for more sleeveless t-shirts and he um <laughs> earth has the best ones and he came to earth and he was dying and reed richards figures out a way to save him and so the shiar empire puts him on trial for that because right after he saves him galactus goes and consumes the scroll homeworld and the shiar empire you know uh, em empress lilandra who's charles xavier's weird space bird girlfriend he puts her he puts reed she puts reed on trial and you know, Reed has to defend himself and Reed can't because Reed's like, no, I, yeah, I saved Galactus. Like I did. And you think like, oh, this is it. He's going to be executed. But all of a sudden you get all these people show up as witnesses for Reed's defense. And it's like Odin and John Byrne, actually, weirdly. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it, it is John Byrne's in the issue because it's um, assistant editor's month. And so they have Byrne in the issue and Byrne is the chronicler. He's the drawer and writer of the Fantastic Four comic book, mm -hmm. not only in our universe, but in the Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. which is really cool and also a little weirdly egotistical. But he um, he shows up, too, to chronicle the adventures. And, and then Eternity shows up, which is like, I mean, you know, you don't get a better expert witness than like, oh, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all reality. So, like, whatever I say is really, really goes. And they say to Lalandra and the court that Galactus isn't a person or a being. He's a universal force. He's a universal constant. 
he sort of clears the detritus out of the universe. Like he's a he's a universal Roomba, I guess, if you will. And um, <laughs> <laughs> which is like I didn't it just hit me, and I now regret saying it because now Earth is going to get eaten because Galactus is going to show up and be like, "Forget your t-shirts." Like you called me Roomba, and um, <laughs> and so and so. <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry, Galactus. And so, you know, he he is a universal constant. And Reed Richards, had he not saved him, it would have damaged the universe. And so, for me, that was the first moment where Galactus became more than just a, a MacGuffin. He became an actual, like, character. And so I, I really liked that. Uh, what about you? Um, gosh, I mean, uh, I really enjoy Galactus's origin story, where he existed before the Big Bang. So that goes along with the whole thing that he is a universal constant. But um, I, I really got to point out, you know, what if volume two, number 34, where they have the story of what if Ant-Man fought Galactus? <laughs> and spoiler warning, folks, doesn't go very well for Hank Pym. <laughs> OK, so I have not read this issue. Um, you have to help me with this because I have a very okay. specific picture in my head right now of what happens, but it, I've never read it. Yeah. OK, what if volume two, number 34 is the second uh, humor special so it's just a bunch of you know short gags usually just about one or two pages and the, it's literally a one page gag of galactus just standing there yawning and squishing hank under his foot okay that's awesome and i'm super proud of myself because that is exactly the image i painted in my head when you said the title of the, <laughs> of the story i was like what does he step on him and that's like yeah. that's awesome that's yeah awesome. it's like literally okay the 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 animated short of bambi versus godzilla <laughs> it, it's literally that just done as a one page you know single panel gag okay the fact that you just referenced bambi versus godzilla like we live in different states and and have you know don't you know know have not known each other you know previously and I yet I think we might have had the same childhood I think we <laughs> we might have lived parallel lives because the Bambi versus Godzilla like call callback is is awesome is it like I what was that like it was like Spike and Mike's twisted animation is that what that was from yes oh my god this is so awesome I I don't know that I've ever met anybody else who who saw that that's amazing okay so. Easing back into what if itself, uh, do you have any other favorite what if stories? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not going out on any limbs here. I'm going to admit that up front. Like this is a kind of an obvious choice, but it's it's just one of my favorites. It's what if volume two issue four. What if the alien costume had possessed Spider Man? And it's uh, it for those people who haven't read it. You know, basically it's the same premise. He brings Spider Man brings the alien costume back from Battle World to earth and it you know it's it's the venom symbiote and it possesses him but in in this case instead of him going to reed richards in amazing spider-man 258 and having reed say to him like oh this is a symbiote and then firing like a sonic gun and separating the two and the symbiote would eventually find eddie brock and make venom in this case he can't separate them and the the symbiote takes control full control of spider-man and, and it's a really cool story basically i don't want to ruin it if you're going to read it but basically, the symbiote ends up jumping from hero to hero a few times. And if you can imagine what that progression might look like to make the symbiote even more powerful and even more terrifying. And in the end, 
what is done to stop the symbiote, to, to end its this sort of terror, is a really great moment for Black Cat, who's one of my favorite characters, actually. And so so I think it's a great issue. It's a really powerful look at at her love for Peter Parker, which is sometimes dismissed. And, and I, I really grew up, I, my first issues of Amazing and, and Peter Parker are when he's with Felicia Hardy. So she's kind of my, my go-to. I know a lot of people love him and Mary Jane. I, I've always preferred him and Felicia. So that's a great issue. I, I got to say, again, not a, I'm not going out on any limbs here. You know, and I think, I think Wizard Magazine even voted it like one of the best single issue stories of the 90s. Uh, but if you haven't read it, I would check it out. What about you? Um, I can't really narrow it down just to one because, <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot of fun ones. Uh, volume one, number 39, uh, is basically just an excuse for Thor and Conan to fight. That's awesome. But it, yeah, it, it's done very well and it becomes a really fun adventure concept because it, it pretty much ends up, well, I mean, I, I won't even ruin it for everybody. It Just look it up if you love Thor and Conan because it's wonderful. Uh, volume 2, numbers 28 and 29, they hold a place in my heart because that's where I kind of joined in. Uh, the first bit is Captain America leads an army of super soldiers during World War II. Essentially, he saves Professor Erskine, and the super soldier formula is given to everybody in the army. I mean, oh, World wow. War II is yeah, World War II is over in days. That's really cool. But yeah, but Cap still ends up frozen. But we don't know that because by the time of the second issue, we find out that the Red Skull has taken on Steve Rogers' appearance and has become president of the United States. It's a okay. I'm gonna huge, have to track these down. Oh, it, it's wonderful. It's a early '90s dystopia, and like all all the heroes are kind of changed around. Most people don't even exist. Like um, Charles Xavier's dead. Magneto formed the school, and all the mutants got wiped out because of hate crimes. Ooh, the Fantastic wow, yeah. Four get shot before they can get to the rocket. I mean it. It ends up like Frank Castle is in the Iron Man armor, but still all Punisher decked out. Uh, Sam Wilson becomes Giant Man. Uh, Wolverine isn't Wolverine. He doesn't have the adamantium. He's the Wendigo. Oh, wow. And Thor is still Thor. But pretty much other than that, it's, it's the... Oh, and Namor's around. For, you, you should see it. It, it all makes sense. It, it's wonderfully done. Yeah, I think I'm literally hanging hanging up from this episode and running to my local <laughs> comic shop discount bins first. Yeah, because I, I like you had me at like Wolverine is Wendigo. <laughs> oh it, yeah, and it, like I said, it all makes perfect sense. It's one of those that somebody did their Marvel research when they did it. It's not just oh you know well let's put Wolverine in there. Yeah, he's, yeah, he he's Wolverine. Um, and then the one right after that, Volume Two, Number Thirty, Spider Man keeps the cosmic powers. He's still Captain Universe. That's really cool because that's actually one of my favorite little arcs of Spider-Man. Those was Eric Larson the artist on those? Oh gosh, uh, you're asking the wrong guy to remember who does what. Uh, sorry, I think he was. I think that was. I think that was Larson. He had just taken over for um, McFarlane. Yeah, that's a fun little arc in Spider-Man. I'll have to check that mm -hmm. out too. Do you have any that you just absolutely did not like? It's it's a tough question because I. What if for me? Even when they're bad, it's like they're like it's like pizza, right? Even when it's bad, it's pretty good. 
and I the the what if issues are always amusing. Like even when they're not great, even when it's like some artist who you never hear from again, or it's clearly a deadline story, or or like you implied, they've just shoved Wolverine in to sell the book. What if is such a fun like like it's just a fun fanfic series. It's like a fun video game series where you get to just spin things off that I've always enjoyed them. However, Marvel tested that that feeling in me actually recently. And I don't know if you remember about it. I mean, recent, you know, in quotes, but in the last like 10 years, Marvel had released a bunch of what if issues around their events. So they had like Age of Ultron and they're like, well, what if, you know, Age of Ultron and they had all these other things. And and they wrote, they did an issue about 10 years ago. It was what if Jessica Jones had joined the Avengers? And it was Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos, who's the team on Alias. Now, I actually, I know a lot of people, he's a polarizing figure. I actually really like Brian Michael Bendis, and I like the majority of his work. You know, Ultimate Spider-Man and, and some of his books, his Daredevil run, are just fantastic. But when Bendis goes wrong, and I, I get why people don't like him, he goes wrong because he gets too clever, and he gets sort of too talky, and he gets too... Like, he finds himself and his stories maybe too amusing, and it doesn't translate to the page. And this issue is literally Jessica Jones just sitting in a diner having coffee, talking to a guy who looks just like Brian Michael Bendis. And it takes them, like, five pages to get into the story. And there's, like, three pages back in the diner at the end. So there's almost no actual content. So the middle part, what should be the story, what should be the fun, is just crammed in. It's done really poorly. And it it's it's just a total failing, and it and, and actually it was the first time I ever read an issue of What If, where I was like, oh, I'm mad I paid for this because again, like in the '90s, even the bad issues were fun. So I, I would actually say, unfortunately, the more modern versions are the ones that have turned me off. Even though if you told me today they were relaunching What If, like I would be the first in line to, to buy it to try it out. So yeah, so I kind of a cheat, but I'd say the modern issues. What about you? <laughs> okay, I've got two to point out, and one. The, the, you know, being mad that you bought this, we'll, we'll get back to that in just a second. <laughs> One for me is uh, volume two, number 48. What if Daredevil saved Nuke? It's told from Ben Yurk's point of view. You know, he's literally typing up a story of, you know, well, this happened, blah, blah, blah. But huh, wouldn't it be nice if. Plus, who in the world liked Nuke enough to want him to live? <laughs> That is a perfectly valid question. But the other one is uh, Volume 2, Number 82. What if J. Jonah Jameson adopted Peter Parker? Oh. Oh, even that premise is bad. And, and it goes on that, you know, Jameson has no idea that Peter is Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, still the whole thing of the Spider-Slayers and all that. Jonah it's, but it's even for puts his own on son. The, yeah, Jonah even puts on the Spider Slayer like mech thing, unmasked Spider Man, and realizes, hey, okay, it's Peter. I can forgive everything about Spider Man. He's no longer oh. a menace. And at the very end, they become heroes for hire. Oh my! <laughs> Wait, like you're making that up. There's no, no. way. <laughs> I kid you not. Is this some hazing ritual for first-time guests on the episode? No, 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 this is a true thing. And talking about being mad you bought this, a friend of mine literally, like, he 
read the issue, got to the last page, you know, grabbed it, tossed it across the room as hard as he could. <laughs> you know, presumably like trying to shatter it from his mind. <laughs> Couldn't be done. Tossed it in a trash can and lit it on fire. Oh my god. Yeah, he he tells me all the time. He's like, "I I have read terrible terrible issues. This is the only one I have ever actually burned." Oh my god, that's amazing. That's like his comic book Vietnam. Like that is amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those it's like it's almost worth reading just to say that it happened, you know. Like you know, it's like I survived the Hindenburg. Seriously, I was like, when you gave the premise, I was like, okay, I'm not checking this one out. But now that now that I know your friend's story about it, I totally want to read it. I mean, that yeah. sounds awful. That sounds like unbelievably <laughs> awful. <laughs> it is. Oh lord, it is. Oh and you know, this is from the era that also had, you know, what if Spider Man were a murderer? What if Spider Man? Yeah, yeah. What if the Punisher had killed Spider Man? What if? Yeah. You know the. Like you said, even when they're bad, they're still not bad. But yeah, this this is <laughs> yeah, that's the exception. That is unbelievable. That is really bad. It's almost like the whoever wrote that like had read Oedipus or something or, or these Greek tragedies, and they're like, "What if we did a Marvel version of it, but with Spider Man and J. Jonah Jameson?" Like, I just can't even. Oh my god, that is oh. that is really. I just that's amazing. That's a it's really amazing. I, I'm I'm kind of sitting here in shock. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it but it's real, I promise you. It's real. <laughs> that's awesome. Well you have given me some homework assignments, man. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to hit the discount bin and, and I, I think I might actually ask like the guy behind the counter, like, hey, where's your really crappy section of what if issues? <laughs> I'm assuming you're isolating them from the other comics so they don't accidentally contaminate them. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if all copies have been burned at some point. <laughs> they've, all, they've all been destroyed without any kind of plan. Just whoever reads them immediately destroyed. That's like the video from The Ring, right? Like the little girl crawls through the TV. <laughs> but in this case, you read that issue of What If and you like immediately destroy it in some like unique way. That'd be awesome. Do we have anything to add or do we think we've got this one covered? No, I think we've covered it, man. I think we we have gone some very interesting places with this issue, which is perfect. It's, hey, that is the spirit of what if, right? Like it's it's perfect. It definitely is. Well, before you go though, there is a bit of a hazing ritual. Uh oh. Since it's your first time here, you have a quiz. I did not study. <laughs> Nobody ever does. <laughs> Uh-oh. All right, so are we ready? I'm ready. All right, number one, what do you consider to be your beverage of choice? Uh, I am going to maybe, I, I'm going to say this. I'm actually glad you didn't ask me this at the beginning because you may have just cut me off. And and in saying this, I might now get recruited to do an episode of Batgirl to Oracle, but I'm an iced tea guy. I, uh, I love caffeine, but I gave up soda a long time ago just for you know, health purposes. And I've never, ever, ever liked the coffee, which I know, like, don't hang up. Like, even <laughs> mocha ice cream, even, like, I just, I love the smell. I just can't stand the taste. So I'm an iced tea guy. Like, I'm a hardcore. I drink, I drink, like, far too much ice. It's, it's, it's an unhealthy amount. Oh, so you're like Camp Stella. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I see your guys' like, fights on Twitter. 
And I was like, oh, man, like I should chime in and show some support for the iced tea crowd. Then I'm like, oh, but no, I'm, I'm guesting on coffee and comics. So I'm just going to wait. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll wait to say anything. So in case he decides to block me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We support beverage of choice, no matter how wrong it may be. <laughs> no matter how wrong your choice may be. My, my beverage of yep. choice is what if J. Jonah Jameson adopted Peter Parker of beverages. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question two. Betty or Veronica? Oh, man. That is a... Um, I, you know what? I'm going Betty all the way. Veronica... I, I don't know. Veronica looks great. And Veronica has a lot of very positive qualities. But I think Betty's the, the girl that is still your best friend and still fixes your car and you can use that as a euphemism i guess i meant it literally but um you know is is still great 50 years into the relationship so i'm going betty okay all right number three wolfman perez titans or claremont burn x-men oh my god like why don't you just ask me to choose between my children um <laughs> like this is like this is like the sophie's choice of the comic book world um oh my god I, okay, you know what? I'm just for longevity's sake, and because of its, it had so many different phases. I'm gonna go X Men, but it's not an easy choice. I mean, Wolfman Perez Titans is just, it's like right there. But yeah, I'm gonna go X Men. Alrighty, uh, which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? Animated? I'm gonna go Squirrel Girl. I am a big fan of that book. I love it. I think it's funny. I think it's smart. I think it's a hero who leans into some really inventive ways to solve problems. And it's a, a an animated series that I would love and I would really love to show like to my daughter. So I'm going to go animated. I'm going to go Squirrel Girl. Live action? Really question. I think live action. You know what I'd love to see? I would love to see a Netflix or an HBO Astro City show, like an anthology show of just the stories of Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson's Astro City, all that, because it goes so many different places, so many different characters, and you have, you know, one-offs and you have long arcs, you know, it's something, something really hard to, to pull off, but there's a bank of 20 years of comics there. So yeah, I'm going to go live action Astro Okay. Villain most in need of decaf. I mean, this might be the obvious answer, but I'm going to go the Joker. Like I just, you know, he's just on 11 all the time. Like I, I even in the movies and Every depiction of him, like I, I want to see like the Joker opening a birthday gift or like the Joker ironing his shirts. Like I just think, you know, he, I think he just needs like he needs to calm down. Like I, he, like, speaking of Netflix, like Joker needs like Netflix and chill. Like we just need to, <laughs> he needs to dial it down for a minute. So yeah, I'm going, I'm going Joker. Okay, uh, who is the best super pet? Oh, crypto. I mean, that's just a, a, any other answer is you. You should be like sent out of the. It's clearly crypto. It just you know Streaky's okay, and you know I don't know Banicula, the vampire bunny's fine, but it's it's at the end of the day crypto. I mean, if you if you've read whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow and you don't tear up when crypto dies, then you have no. I'm just I'm just gonna call it. <laughs> All right. Well, do you think Mighty Mouse can beat up the George Reeves Superman? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, George Reeves is great. That's a great Superman, but Mighty Mouse is like, you know, he just wouldn't even see him coming. Yeah, Mighty Mouse would lay him out. And plus, in my version of that fight, Andy Kaufman is standing behind it doing the, like, here I come to save the day arm stretch. So Mighty Mouse has, like, that extra push. So, yeah, it's Mighty Mouse. <laughs> All right. And now for the final question. Would you choose a lifetime of 25-cent comics but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you? Or comics are highly expensive but Dr. Doom owes you a favor. 
oh, I'm going to go the first one. Like, Doom owes nothing. Like, if Doom owes you a favor, his favor is going to be killing you in a kind manner. Like, Doom doesn't owe anything. So, yeah, no way. That's a rigged question. I'm going to take the 25-cent comic books, and I'm going to change my last name to Richards because that's Doom's kryptonite. Like, the one thing he can't do is beat anybody named Richards. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna go there. I'm going to take the comics. Well, Professor Allen might call that fake news, but... <laughs> It's it. Look, I'm acknowledging Doom, man. Doom owes nothing. Doom, <laughs> if, if Doom owes you a favor, you're dead. Like that's it. <laughs> there you go. All right, Sean. Well, I do appreciate you being here. How about you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sean four two A Z. Uh, you can find the uh, my podcasts on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network. We have a few shows actually. Um, we have Marvel Superheroes, Secret Wars, and Beyond. Where Greg Arujo and I, and he's a previous guest on your show. He's a great, great guy too. He, uh, we cover Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. We cover volume, we've covered volume one. We're covering volume two. And I know some of you are cringing when I say Secret Wars two, but I mean, that's half the fun. You know, if you cringed when you read it, imagine how fun it'll be to listen to a podcast about it. It's kind of like when you covered Xenobrood. It's, you know, half the fun is, is covering the really, really hardcore bad stuff. Uh, we have Welcome to Astro City where Dr. G, the man of nerdology and I, Talk about Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson's Astro City series. We have MotuCast, which covers Masters of the Universe. And then Dial G for Gamer, which is a superhero gaming show. And, and so a lot of stuff, a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, can can find me there. Please reach out, give me a shout out, and uh, I'd love to hear from people. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Sean. It was a whole lot of fun. I'm glad you came by. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, I was super excited when you invited me on, and in particular, I was super excited to cover this issue of What If, and, and I know you and I both had a real love for it. So so thanks a lot, man. You you have gotten me through a lot of car rides, and I shouldn't say this live because it can be used against me, but you have really lowered my productivity at work because when a new <laughs> show drops, I, I pop the earbuds in, and I'm working diligently, but really I'm listening. So So good on you, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to take another promo break, and I'll be back with some listener feedback. Welcome back. It's time for some very overdue feet. First off, I'm sorry it's taken this long to get to this. Between the awesome joy of getting to participate in JLMA, despite what I thought of our part of the story, and just a few things in general, I have been remiss in not getting to the feedback. And before I do, I owe a great deal of thanks to this episode's co-host, Sean. Somewhere in the midst of editing shows and owning a cat, the audio for this episode got deleted. I suspect that much like Pizza the Hut trapped in a limo, it ate itself to death. But the truth is probably I hit the wrong button on the wrong file. Either way, Sean had a copy of our audio and saved my bacon. Now, since we haven't talked feedback for a couple episodes, there are a ton of names to go through. I hope I have everybody. If I miss somebody or say some names wrong, I am sorry, but it has been a bit. On the episode covering the What If Humor Special with the guys from the Longbox Crusade, we had Twitter favorites and retweets from Treasury Comics, Siskoid, Rob Deb, Isaac Cates, Sam Lowe, Delvin Williams, John D. Noble, Jared Albrick, Drew Love, Pietro Blaxamoff, Longbox Crusade, The Hammer Strikes, Comics in the Golden Age, Bob Buster, Ken Solo, your movie earns some money, bud. This episode's guests, Sean of the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, Legion Bloggers, Christados, Cash Flag, Chris Carnes of Bat Books for Beginners, Trekker Talk, Joe Crawford, Professor Frenzy 
of the new Professor Frenzy show, Rolled Spine, The Man on the Wall, Collected Edition, Andrew Leyland, Angela Calhoun, Blast It or Stash It, Huey's Comics, and Justice Trek the Podcast. On Facebook, we heard from Gene Hendricks, Paul Hicks, Jerry Green, Jared Albrecht, Alan Middleton, Pat Sampson, Mike Peacock, The Long Box Crusade, Al Sedano, and Gord Tolton. <laughs> On our JL May episode covering Silver Age Justice League of America, with Greg Arusho as guest. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Pointless Ephemera, Reggie Reggie, Paul Hicks, Keck W, Delvin Dark Web Williams, Longbox of Darkness, Professor Frenzy, Sean of Marvel Secret Wars, Warlock Thanos Podcast, The Beyonder, Jim Imbruglia, Bill Bear, John Dredge, Comics in the Golden Age, Miracle Man, Greg Arujo, who you can hear on Marvel's Secret Wars and Beyond now, David Ace Gutierrez, Slang Word Resists, Aaron Myers, Robin at Robin Cook, Superclave the Red, Chris Sheehan, Son of Cthulhu, Collected Edition, Chris of Bat Books for Beginners, Cap and Flash, Paul Matthew Carr, Cash Flag, Ryan Daly, Mike Garvey of Waiting for Doom, John Stinson Ferdinand, Rod Center, Trekker Talk, Christatos, Tim Price, DC OCD, The Uncanny Abel Pazia, Captain Marvel, The 108th Sage, Slang Word Resists, Lost in Time, Dr. Ange, Firestorm Fan, The Irredeemable Shag, Kenny Crowley Jr., and Scott Eck. On Facebook, we heard from Greg Arujo, Mike Peacock, Derek William Crabb, Alan Milton, Gene Hendricks, Martin Gray, Nicholas Prom, Al Sedano, Jerry Green, Pat Sampson, Michael Lane, Joe Crawford, and Gautam Shiorin of the Pulped Pixel Network. <coughs> so thanks everybody so, so much for all the likes, shares, etc. So glad everybody's willing to spread this humble little show around. Now, I know we're running long, but I have a little bit of feedback I want to share. General feedback pretty much agreed with the Longbox Crusaders on the What If issue. That is, that it's out of date and not especially funny now. And everybody who wrote in about JL May pretty much agreed with Greg and I... Almost precisely, although the irredeemable shag thought we might have been just a smidge too kind and professional about it. But I'm going to skip over all of those and focus on a couple of emails I got. Friend of the show, Jason Zeller, wrote in after marathoning several episodes. Jason said, I am still enjoying the podcast quite a bit. I had not heard of the Arkham comic before you talked about it. After hearing the plot of the story, I was inspired to do some H.P. Lovecraft reading, and the story and the names in the comic seemed to make more sense as they were characters and names from his story. He has a great wealth of weird fiction for sure. I really enjoyed the Legion of Superheroes episode. Though Starboy was never initially one of my favorite Legionnaires, issues like this really endeared his character for me. I think one of the things that has kept the Legion so interesting over the years is the multi-layered three-dimensional characters with rich interweaving backstories and subplots along with the bigger overall story arc. This was no exception with Starboy either. Plus, his star suit was and is one of the best suits in comic history. As a side note, I really enjoyed what Jeff Johns did with Starboy in the 2006 series Justice Society of America as he dealt with mental issues after traveling to the past, which is our present. This helped further flesh out his character and history. The Gen 13 Christmas story sounds fun. I always enjoyed those one-and-done holiday specials, as they were usually more lighthearted than the monthly comics, and with short, complete stories in one issue. As for Xenobrood, 
I vaguely knew of them, but it was comics and generic characters like this that seemed to push me away from comics in the night. I never read any of these issues. They all seem based on the Fantastic Four formula. Don't get me wrong, I always enjoyed the FF. You know what I mean when I say that superhero team formula or trope. One huge character, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Please note that many of my judgments at this time were based on the covers, which frequently have all four or more characters posing on that cover of the issue. Sorry for the lengthy soapbox here, but I could fill a whole podcast on that issue. <laughs> yeah, could and has been done. Uh, Jason continues, I love the Justice League minisode. I like breaking through the limitation and busting into the multiverse for your team. My favorite choices were your Huntress and Hawkgirl choice. They were some of my favorite characters. And of course, I am always glad to have Superman slash Superboy spend time with the Legion. I had never heard of the character Triumph. This is a blank spot for me as I was not really reading comics at this time, and maybe he was already gone by the time I came back. I would occasionally see some UK Death's Head comics, but never explored the character much. Great job on Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. I had forgotten how many members of the original Captain Marvel family there were, including animals. These comics were immensely popular during the Golden Age, both funny animal cartoon characters and superhero animal car characters as well. It really shows how many of these Golden Age stories were geared for young readers. And you can't forget the frequent wartime advertisements for war bonds. <coughs> Finally, the Johnny Quest episode was an absolute delight to listen to. I loved many of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons of that time period. The world-traveling adventures and intense nail-biting action, along with realistic yet exotic settings, really made Johnny Quest stand out ahead of other cartoons. Other cartoons I really enjoyed from the 1960s period were Hanna-Barbera's Space Ghost, Dino Boy in the Lost Valley, Birdman and the Galaxy Trio, The Herculoids, The Mighty Mitor, as well as the Fantastic Four cartoon, and last but not least, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? I know I'm really dating myself here, but I remember staying up on Saturday Night's Day Boomerang on Cartoon Network to watch and record, on VHS no less, many of these episodes. And then Jason wrote back a few days later with another email saying, Hey, I just wanted to say... Oh, <clears throat> excuse me, let's try that again. Jason wrote back a few days later saying, Hey, I just wanted to say what a great job you did on your last episode covering the What If comic. It was definitely a snapshot in time with many things that people wouldn't find humorous these days, or even be able to follow. It is still great to see all those wonderful... It is still great to see all those powerful characters, though, in funny and awkward situations. Great job on giving enough time for the three guests on the show, as well as yourself, in discussing the comic. I think you managed it very well and kept everyone on track. It was funny to hear the outtakes at the end as well, and it seemed like you guys had a really fun time. By the way, my favorite what-ifs would be Conan vs. Wolverine and Conan vs. Thor. For obvious reasons. Also, thanks for plugging your appearance on the DC OCD series on that Waiting for Doom podcast. I don't generally listen to their podcast, but I really do like the idea of discussing the epic crossovers that were done for DC. Armageddon 2001 is definitely one of my favorites, and getting to see all your favorite heroes in possible futures that may or may not happen is really cool. Wave Rider is a pretty cool character as well. Thank you for giving it due justice and giving the crossover series a good positive rating and not being too hard on it. I think many times people don't think about the series as they would have in 1991, but think about it from a 2018 perspective, for example, and judge it in that way. Are there any other podcasts you've appeared on? Well, I responded to Jason's feedback personally, but I have to say again, it's really great hearing from you, Jason. And it does my heart good to know you enjoy the show this much. For others that are curious, or gluttons for punishment, I have made appearances on 
the Film and Water Podcast, the Secret Origins Podcast, the Quarter Bin Podcast, DC OCD, Waiting for Doom, Head Speaks, the Longbox Crusade, specifically their Crusader Chronicles subshow, and an upcoming episode of G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast. And I do appreciate everybody for letting me guest, because goodness knows I'm not fun to podcast with, I'm sure. Well, maybe I'm fun to podcast with, but not necessarily fun to edit. Anyway, I think that's enough for this one. I've rambled on for almost 15 minutes worth of feedback here. So, I'm sorry feedback ran long this episode, but there was plenty of stuff we needed to catch up on. Thanks again, everybody, for listening, and I hope you come back next time, where the comics are never too old, and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg.